you know, you remember, if you were here last week or really the last couple of weeks, when, when Genesis 28 begins, Jacob's circumstances are pretty uncertain. Uh, he's going to be on the run from his angry brother Esau. Um, his self-exile, you could call it, so I read that term this week and I thought, well, it's imposed by his mom and his dad, but it's also self-exile. So he's going to be on his own for a while. Um, he's going to go to a place he'd never been, moving beyond the territory of land that was promised to his dad and to his grandpa, and it'll be eventually promised to him, but he's going to leave all that. And he's going to go miles and miles and miles away. Now, when Esau realizes that he's um, uh, been outwitted, he's determined to kill his brother, though not till after his dad dies. Rebecca learns of Esau's plan, and she urges Jacob to flee northward toward Haran, which is where her family is still. And if you remember, that's where Abraham sent his servant, we studied a few weeks back, sent his servant to get Rebecca. You remember that? And um, so he's gonna, she's going to send him back there. Uh, Isaac is going to be in full agreement with this. And uh, she's going to say, go look for my brother Laban. Okay. Now, uh, and, and so Jacob is going to do that. Uh, what Jacob came to realize here is that he's leaving a lot behind. But he's not leaving behind the blessing and presence of God. He doesn't know that yet. We're going to see where he kind of finds that. Now, uh, there's another thing we talked just briefly about last time. Uh, as, as 28 dawns, uh, chapter 28 dawns, um, Rebecca has spoken to her husband Isaac about her dislike for the, for the women, and that is plural, that her son Esau, okay, remember he's on uh, Duck Dynasty, I think. It just kind of reminds me of those guys. Uh, but, but Esau had married some local Canaanite women, some Hittite women, and it just ticks Rebecca off. And she comments on that to Isaac, and it's, it, it, that has something to do, more than a little bit to do, with why uh, they send Jacob away. Uh, my guess is, you know, the, the grandkids had no manners. I don't know. I don't know what the deal was. But, um, and, and so what does, uh, what's interesting about that? Um, what does Esau do? Look at verse 6. What does Esau do? Just kind of scan 6, 7, 8, and 9. What does Esau do when he finds out that mom and dad don't really like his family? Get a more. He starts another thing. Guy's really smart. I'm telling you, he's, you know, he's got two already, and they're causing him all kinds of trouble at home with mom and dad. So what does he do? He goes and marries somebody else. <laughs> kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Now, and to add insult to injury, who does he marry this time? He marries a half-cousin. Okay? Think about it. Isaac and Ishmael were brothers, half-brothers. He marries one of Ishmael's kids. This guy's, you know... The elevator does not go all the way to the top floor. Just saying, okay. He's, he's, a, he's a few fries short of a Happy Meal, I think. But, okay. So that's the context in which Rebecca goes to Isaac and says, we're going to have to, first of all, 
these these boys are going to kill each other. At least Esau's, Esau's going to kill Jacob. We got to get him out of here. Let's send him back to my brother Laban and see if we can find somebody to, to marry there. We don't want him doing what his brother did. So that's kind of the context of what happens as we see uh, Jacob moving away. Now, now, uh, Father Blair, are you over there? Okay. Would you begin with verse 10? I'm sure you've rehearsed this and read down to verse 15 from Genesis 28. Okay, this is dramatic and very good for a guy who's on the run. Now, we, let's, let's make sure we know what's going on here. Uh, by the way, little research uh, uh, kind of uncovered for me that Jacob is not a young man. That's what goes in your blank. Not a really young man when he takes off in this. You know, I think of those being boys. But Jacob is probably, uh, one account I read said he's 57. Another one said he's 77. Okay? So I'm going to go with the more conservative one. Okay? So he's, he's 50, late 50s when he takes off, unmarried, all right, by himself. Now, I didn't, I didn't put a map up here because I don't want to, you know, steal Terry Fakes' thunder, all right? But, Okay, but if you've got a, you've got maps like I do in the back of your of your Bible, you can look up the one that says uh, the world of the patriarchs. Usually, there's a map over in the back of your Bible that has a few a few maps there. The world of the patriarchs. What you're going to realize is that uh, Isaac has settled in South Palestine, South Canaan. He's in Beersheba. Okay, and that's where Jacob will light out from Beersheba. Now. Let me help you with this. this I learned this years ago. It just kind of helps me think. Um, from Dan to Beersheba. So that is from sea to shining sea. All right. That is Dan is far north, Palestine. Beersheba is far south. So they had settled in the south. But where he's got to go is north and a little bit east. Back to Mesopotamia where the family came from. 550 miles away by himself. I hope Rebecca picked, packed him a pretty good sandwich. You know, something. Otherwise, he's going to be trapping and, and you know, cooking and doing whatever he's got to do on his own. All right? 550 miles. Now, uh, Ashley, was Ashley around? Did anybody see her? Ashley Fuhrer? She did a walk. She, she's 
um, because of some things in her family and her own life, uh, she does a lot of these walks for the Susan Komen group. She did a walk a couple weeks ago, 60-mile walk. Now, it took three, it was in, in San Diego, that's a good thing. Um, and it was, it was like three days. But typically, and, and that's just walking. I mean, that's not, you're not carrying a backpack, you're not carrying everything you got. Um, typically, a walk is something like 20 miles a day. So, when you think of Jacob being far south, he's getting, he gets to, in the passage that, um, that, Steve read, he's going to get as far as a place called Luz or Lus, which is about 60 miles north of Beersheba. Okay, you won't find it on your maps anymore, and the, our story will tell us why. But it's so he's he may have been on the road about three days or so. Okay, um, and um, there is no light available at night, there are not street lights, and there's not highway lights. and um, even even on a, a moonlit night, you usually stop when the sun sets. So he does that, and he finds where he stops in this place called Luz, L-U-Z, where he stops. He finds a Palestinian maipilo, okay? He gets a maipilo right there, okay? Which is not the kind that you will want to buy. Rhonda slipped in a new pillow on me last night. And about 11 o'clock, it was like, well, where's my pillow? <laughs> well, I thought you would try this one. It's new. I don't know if that bugs you, but it bugs the hound out of me. I mean, you know. <laughs> but I cannot imagine sleeping with a rock for a pillow. Now, now, uh, Troy, if I'm a cowboy, I'm going to sleep on my, using my saddle for a pillow or a bedroll. For, you know, I can, I can go with that, but not a rock. So, and that's all he can find. He puts a rock down for a pillow. It's kind of interesting. That pillow will, will factor into the story in a minute. And when he lays down to sleep, although he's on this uh, pillow, he has a dream, okay? He's been on the road a few days when this takes place, and he has a dream, and angels are involved in this dream. Now, uh, angels will play an important role in Jacob's life. We're going to read a little bit this about this in just a minute. But his dream focuses on uh, what you and I have called a ladder. Jacob's ladder. Okay? We are climbing Jacob's ladder, soldiers of the Lord. Okay? That, that uh, old spiritual. What it probably is... Uh, uh, in, in little research, what it probably is, it wh is what was known or what is known about that um, uh, epoch of time as a ziggurat or a ziggurat. It's more of a pyramid of sorts with steps going up to an altar. Okay, now, so think of, uh, he sees this pyramid with steps going up to an altar. So if you've ever gone to uh, Mexico and seen those pyramids there or other places. That's kind of probably what he saw. What's going up and down on the pyramid steps? Angels. Coming and going. Heaven and back. Heaven and back. Heaven and back. All right? And um, what's going to happen here is, and I want you to go with me. I put a couple of references here. Go over to chapter 32 
angels are going to play a really important part in, uh, in, in Jacob's life. So here, he has a vision of angels. He sees some. Now look at verse 1 of 32. In 32.1, Jacob went on his way. The angels of God met him. So get that. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he, he is again... Uh, he has a physical encounter, a personal encounter with angels, not just a dream in 32.1. In that same, uh, same chapter, if you'll look down to verse 24, he wrestles with one. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. We believe that was an angel, okay? Now, if you go on over to um, 32.28, uh, it's this encounter with an angel at that point that even causes... Uh, look at 28. Uh, he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God with men and have prevailed. It's an angel who actually renames him from Jacob, the heel grabber, the deceiver, to Israel, the child of promise. Okay? All right? So when you think of Israel, even political Israel today, think of the descendants of this man. He was named that. But all this happened through encounters with an angel, one of one or more. Okay, now, in verse 13, he receives a promise from God who's at the top of this ladder. God, he, he really believes, he sees the angels, but there's something different about this visage, something different about this presence. And God has a message for him, and it's going to be really, really important to him. So he's, there are two features that are really important here. Um, actually, I'm going to give you a third one that, that is not on your outline. Notice that God, when he comes to him, doesn't make any mention of his deception. Hey, pal, you deceived your brother. You're on the run because you're a no-good, deceiving, lying, dirty snake. God doesn't say that. And God won't say that to you. Your relationship with him is not defined by, by what you have not done for him <laughs> or the mistakes you have made. Your relationship with him is based on his grace, his reaching down in this moment like he did with, God, with, with, with Jacob here. But there are two things that he does promise him here that are really important. Okay, he promises him in this land. Interestingly, it's the land he's about to leave the land under your feet. Well, wait a minute, man. I'm hiking out of here. This is your land, okay? Where did that start? started with his grandpa, Abraham, promised land, the land of Palestine, the land of promise, okay? It was renewed to his, his dad, Isaac. Now it's going to be re renewed to Jacob as well, land, even though he's about to leave that land and go 500 miles away. And he's promised descendants. What's the pro problem with that? He's got no wife nor kids, okay? All right? But he can hold on, if he will hold on to that promise, he can know, okay, that evidently I'm going to get married someday, and I'm going to have at least one child. So he hangs on to that. He's going to get the land that his dad and his grandfather were promised, and he will have a family. Now, he doesn't know how prolific he's going to become, but we'll talk about that next week. All right, so look at verse 14. Had Jacob 
ever heard this promise before. Let me read the promise while you think about that. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, a bunch of them. And you'll spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and south. And in you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Have you ever heard this before? It's God's, you and I have heard it because it's God's promise to Abraham. We read about it specifically in chapter 13. But if you'll look back just real quickly here at um, 12.3. Go back to 12.3. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. They're all trying to figure out what that means. You and I now know what that means. But this is, a, this is a promise that Abraham received. The land and the blessing and the people and this. Wait a minute. All people on the earth will be blessed through, through my people, through my seed? We believe, theologians believe, that Jacob was probably 15 years old when Abraham died. So he knew grandpa. I love that thought. My mother's dad's name was Roy. Uh, um, the Burlesons and I have talked about this a little bit because his last name was Cherry. My mom's last name was Cherry. And Mary's last name is Cherry, uh, her, her maiden name. So we've talked about, okay, how do we connect? I sat a lot of times... Um, especially as a freshman in college when they were trying to teach me American history, I wanted to get it from somebody who lived it. He had been in both world wars. And I'd go to his home in Paola. He always had on two things. He always had on a pair of khakis, always. And typically, uh, what I called in those days an old man t-shirt, which was uh, kind of a tank top looking thing. Sometimes they're called wife beaters today. They wouldn't have been called that in those days. Always had that on, whether they had a shirt on or not, he had that stuff on. And he sat in his recliner, which was, by the way, not a lazy boy. He wouldn't have a lazy boy in his house. But it was a recliner. We had to buy him another brand because he would not have anything in his house that said lazy on it. Okay? That's how, that's how industrious this guy was. And he would tell me about American history. Can you imagine about how Jacob felt? Hearing his grandpa Abraham talk about family history. So, my cousin, uncle, Lot, had a wife that turned into a pillar of salt. Yeah? Yeah? Hey, all those stories. I love the thought that as a teenager... Jacob could ask his grandpa what was important to remember. So when he gets this promise in this dream, in chapter 28, he's already heard about it, I think. But it becomes not just his grandfather's promise, and not just his dad's promise, but becomes his. I had a Christian ed professor in college who... Um, the key to getting an A in her class, and I never got one, by the way. What do I know about Christian education, right? My sister-in-law did. Uh, but you had to repeat things exactly as she said it in class on a test. 
And she would talk about moving from faith given to faith owned. Jacob is in the process of moving from a faith that was given to him by his grandfather Abraham and by his father Isaac to a faith that would be his own. Buzz and Sally's faith isn't good enough for me, even though they had strong faith. It had to be my own. And it wouldn't be until I was a freshman in college or so until I really began to work that out for myself. Okay, so... Jacob is hearing what he's heard about before. Now, look at verse 15. Uh, probably the, the money verse of this couple of chapters is 28:15. Here's what he says. God says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land, for I'll not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. Now, in the context of the peoples around him, and it will be the same thing when he gets to Haran, even more so, because that's an even more godless place than they found Canaan to be when, uh, when they got there. Uh, in, in the context of, of all the local peoples, there, was, there were a series of what I would call local deities. Okay? That's the word that goes in the blank. Local deities. In other words, there was a God of Oklahoma City, but we could argue here there's a God of War Acres, there's a God of Midwest City, there's a God of Bethany. Okay, so that kind of takes care of, um, they were, they were kind of capricious and uh, unpredictable, but there were local gods in all these areas. So in the context of this, isn't it important what God says to him? I'm going to be with you wherever you go. I'm not restricted to this town. I can go wherever you go. And even in this room that served in the military, I want you to know, God went with you wherever you went. And he's going to be with you here. Now, so, I serve and you serve a global God. Now, I want us to see this. Let's go to... John, can I get you to go over to Psalm 139? I want you to start at verse 7. This is David talking, and he's going to talk about this far-reaching God that you and I serve. All right? We're going to start read 7 down through 12, John, when you get there. Where does David say he has to go to get away from God? Can't. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you're going to be there too. You and I recognize that the only God who is, is a global God, a universal God, not a local one. I'm comforted by that, are you? 
I, I really am. There is nowhere. David said, goes as far to say, there is nowhere I can go that I can flee from your presence. In fact, there are times when there are people in your life and mine that are kind of running from God, that what you need to pray, if you will, join me in this prayer. Pray for them. Pray for them as they, I think of your son, whatever. Uh, pray for them, Lord, as he runs away, may he bump into you. It happened to Jacob here. He was running away and ran headlong into God. And God said, I'm not a local God, pal. I'm going with you. 500 more miles, we'll go together. And I'm going to bring you back. Now listen to the three things he says here in verse 15. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to watch over you. He's by himself, guys. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to bring you back here. And I'm going to do everything I've promised you. And I won't leave you until I've finished all that work. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful promise. Okay, let's go to the next section because it's going to be really important that we catch this. Let's go to verse 16. Cindy, can you read 16 down through 19? It's called loose, but it won't be called that anymore. When you look at your map of uh, the patriarchs, it's going to say Bethel right there or Bethel. Okay, now let's, we'll talk about that in just a second. But the idea here is, okay, that there's nothing special about this place until God shows up. God makes it special when he shows up. I put the reference to Exodus 3. Moses is tending sheep in the Midianite desert. It's rough, it's hot, it's dusty. There's nothing special about it until God says, take your shoes off, pal, because I'm here. And it's holy ground. I took Rhonda, I may have told you this story before, so bear with me, but I took Rhonda, we were doing a little boondoggle on one, on one spring break, and we were... We uh, had dinner at Papado's in Fort Worth. I bet you've been at the same place. We may have been at the same table before, Bill. Been at Papado's in Fort Worth, and I, I got this little thought. It was about dusk, and I said, come on, let's get out of here. I want to take you somewhere. And I drove around to, uh, just a few blocks, a couple of miles, to a little street. I don't even remember the name of the street. But it was a little house, a little 1,100-foot house that we lived in with two little tiny kids for three and a half years in Fort Worth when I was in seminary. And that little place was so special. John, I'm going to hurt your feelings. Not because it was in Fort Worth, pal. <laughs> because God was there. And all the things he taught me in those three and a half years. And all that things that that experience made. We put baloney on a credit card in those days, guys. We had nothing. God was there. God can make the most ordinary place special just by showing up. Can I tell you this? You make a lot of places special because he's with you and you show up. See, worth. 
You've made it special because you're there and he's there with you. All right, so he can make the most ordinary place into a holy place. And Jacob says, wow, he says, his jaw drops. There's literally a word here that means his jaw is dropping. And in verse 17, he says he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. He's going to name this place the house of God. That's what Bethel means. But what I want you to catch here is the word awesome is the same word as afraid. Same word as afraid. What is your understanding of that word? I'm going to tell you. Listen to a lot, trying to listen to a lot of Christmas music these days. Me listening to BB and CC singing David Foster's First Noel was awesome on the way to church this morning. Me listening to Garth Brooks sing It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year is not in any way, shape, or form awesome. Can I tell you that? There are things that are awesome and there are things that are not. And I better be careful how to use that word. It inspired Jacob to be fearful in the best sense of that term. I am awe-stricken, he says. How awesome is this place? God is here. Awesome does not apply to boyfriends, girlfriends, or pizza if you're an 18-year-old. But I know it's used that way. How do you use it? Now, so Jacob takes the pillow and makes it a pillar. Now, he must be from the south, because in the south, those words are interchangeable. Uh, did you bring my pillar? Okay. All right. Have I got, I need me a pillar to go to, okay. He changes the pillow into a pillar. He sets it up. He pours oil on it. What does oil represent? It anoints it. It sanctifies it, it consecrates it here. It makes it holy because God had made it holy by his, his presence here. And he names the place. I know this place has always been named Luz, but it's got to have a different God, a different name. It's going to be called now, you can put it in a blank there, House of God. In, interesting and ironically. Well, go with me if you can find it. First Kings uh, go to the right quite a bit, a good quarter inch or more. First Kings, so you're going to go through the Samuels, and you'll get to Kings. If you get to Chronicles, you've gone too far. First Kings 12, okay, the nation, this is hundreds of years later, the nation of Israel under David has now had civil war, and it has split in two. The king of the, North, the, king of the south was was. Uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam. He did some stupid things, and it caused a uh, it caused a civil war. And so, another cousin by the name of Jeroboam is now in the lead as set himself up as king in the north. Look what Jeroboam does. We're at twelve, and we're going to read verse twenty. Uh, what did I put there? Twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Okay. Here's what it says. So the king consulted and made two golden calves, and he said to them, It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. So he set one up in Bethel and one in Dan. 
The king Jeroboam says, I don't want you going south to Jerusalem to worship. So I'm going to make two calves. I'm going to put one in two cities and you can worship them here. So you don't have to go south to Jerusalem to worship. One of them was in this place, Bethel. Isn't that interesting? That I, how ironic it was that Jacob calls this place the house of God. It is hundreds of years later. It's going to be a not awesome place. Because of what they did there. But it's awesome now because God's there. Makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Um, let's go to verse 20. Okay? Go to verse 20. Somebody read 20 and 21 and 22, and we'll close out. something. Jacob makes a vow and it's based on what God has already revealed to him. That he's going to take care of him. He's going to bring him back. Now, I, got, I, 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 I can't hesitate. I got, give me one more minute here. And when, when Jesus begins to work in John 1 and he meets a guy that will eventually be one of his disciples, he's calling him to come alongside him. His name is Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's a little bit cynical about anybody coming out of, of, of Nazareth. And he, he says that kind of out loud. Jesus is kind of dealing with him. Listen to what Jesus says in the first chapter of John. These words are in red. It's right at the end of the first chapter of John. Jesus answered and said to him, this is Nathaniel, he says, because I said, that I saw, said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, catch this. You will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending. Not on a ziggurat. Not on a ladder. You will see the angels descending and ascending on a man. The son of man. Do you catch that? That is profound, guys. What I've got to interpret from that is that Jesus is the bridge. He is the ladder. He calls himself the way. He calls himself the door. And at this season of the year, if any time, I've got to recognize that I don't need to climb that ladder because God came down here. He came right here. He got involved in your stuff. That's the Christmas message. This uh, story has been referenced a few times. It's been referenced, uh, we mentioned uh, we were climbing Jacob's Ladder. That's a, it's a spiritual from back in the 1800s. But another song that was written in the early 1800s was played on the deck of the, US, of, of the Titanic as it was going down in 1912. Nearer, my God, to thee. Now, I, I know this hymn, Nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee, even though it be a cross that raiseth me, still all my song shall be nearer my God to thee, nearer my God to thee. But listen to the ensuing stanzas. Though like a wanderer, the sun gone down, 
Darkness be over me, my rest a stone. Yet in my dreams I'd be nearer, my God, to thee. Nearer, my God, to thee. Uh, there let the way appear, steps unto heaven, all that thou sendest me in mercy given, angels to beckon me, nearer, my God, to thee. Then with my waking thoughts, bright with my praise, out of my stony griefs, Bethel, Albert, nearer, my God, can I ask you this season of the year, if any season of the year, what kind of a Bethel will you raise? Will you make your pillow into a pillar? What will it be that causes you to recognize? What will you vow? What will you set up as a remembrance? This season that says, I want to remember and I want my kids to remember. I want everybody I love and know to remember that God came down to me, to me, nearer, my God, to thee. Bless you. Thank you for hanging with me for a little bit this morning. We'll be in chapter 30 next week, okay?